If you would take a Bible with me this morning, I want to look at two texts uh, for today, uh, the Old Testament text and also the Gospel text. Our Old Testament text comes from, again, the book of Proverbs. Today we find ourselves in Proverbs chapter 1, and so if you have a Bible, if you turn there with me, and then we're going to go to the Gospel text today, which is Mark chapter 8, beginning at verse 27. Let's begin with the Proverbs text. This is Proverbs 1, 20 through 33. Wisdom shouts in the street, in the public square, she raises her voice. Above the noisy crowd, she calls out at the entrances of the city gates, she has her say. How long will you clueless people love your naivete? Mockers hold their mocking deer and fools hate knowledge. You should respond when I correct you. Look, I'll pour out my spirit on you. I'll reveal my words to you. I invited you, but you rejected me. Stretched out my hand to you, but you paid no attention. You ignored all my advice, and you didn't want me to correct you. So I'll laugh at your disaster. I'll make fun of you when dread comes over you, when terror hits you like a hurricane, and your disaster comes in like a tornado, when distress and oppression overcome you. Then they will call me, but I won't answer. They will seek me, but won't find me, because they hated knowledge and didn't choose the fear of the Lord. They didn't want my advice. They rejected all my corrections. They will eat from the fruit of their way and they'll be full of their own schemes. The immature will die because they turn away. Smugness will destroy fools. But those who obey me will dwell securely, untroubled by the dread of harm. And now if you turn with me to the gospel text, to Mark 8, beginning at verse 27, and and if you're able this morning and present, if you'd stand with me in honor of the Lord's word as we look at the gospel together. Jesus and his disciples went into the villages near Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They told him, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. He asked them, and what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. And Jesus ordered them not to tell anyone about him. And Jesus began to teach his disciples, the human one must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the legal experts and be killed. And then after three days, rise from the dead. He said this plainly, But Peter took hold of Jesus and scolding him, began to correct him. Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, then sternly corrected Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking God's thoughts, but human thoughts. After calling the crowd together with his disciples, Jesus said to them, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross and follow me. And all who want to save their lives will lose them. But all who lose their lives because of me and because of the good news, will save them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. If you would put something in the Mark text and turn back with me to Proverbs for just a little bit. This morning, I, I want to focus primarily on the young folks who are here. Uh, young being 55 and younger. Um, no, <laughs> There's, in the study of Christian sociology, in the study of 
of how the church is doing, really, study of young peoples, and in particular, huge studies of the previous generation. Most of the high schoolers and kind of college and early college age students that are with us today are part of what we've begun to call Generation Z. We're, we're out of generations now. Um, but in studies that were done of the generation right before them, millennials, there was a term that often came into the sociological studies, and it's a, a term called the boomerang effect. And basically, I think we've talked about this in the past before, that studies are not really optimistic about how young people are processing as they go from late adolescence into adulthood, their faith. In fact, most studies would say that of the young people in that generation who were raised in the church, about the time they turned 19, there's something about being 19 that's incredibly dangerous. Um, I got one of those. Um, there's something about being 19 that's a little bit dangerous. That at 19, you have this time where, you, where you're going to kind of decide, am I going to live into this or not? And studies show that about 70% or so of young people who are raised in the church, about the time they turn 19, will stop participating in active faith involvement. So if you're somewhere in the neighborhood of 18 to 29 and you're here today, congratulations, you're in the minority. Um, but somewhere about 19 about seven out of 10 of the young people even raised in our church will drop out for a time. Uh, as they do that, um, that's not unusual. Other generations have done the same thing. What's unusual about millennials is it seems like that number is bigger and it seems like they're staying out longer. Uh, previous generations, a percentage of young people would kind of drop out for a time, but then, and here's the boomerang effect, they would come back. But they would come back... Um, Oftentimes, when they got married, that doesn't happen as much anymore. Most people get married in barns these days. Um, thanks, Pinterest. Um, so that's not really it anymore. But there is another moment where there's a major boomerang effect. Any guesses? Yeah, it's when you have kids. Help! Um, and not only are you a bit overwhelmed that you've had children, but you come back in part because... You, even if you've walked away from some things, you kind of want your kids to have been, ex have experienced and be shaped by many of the things that shaped you. All that to say for the young people who are here today, you are much, you are, you get a lot of the focus of what we do around here. In fact, um, even looking at the church's budget, per capita, we spend way more money on you than anybody else in this room. We are focused on you. We want you to, to grab this faith, to know this faith, to love this faith, to carry this faith forward through adolescence into adulthood. And in many ways, the book of Proverbs is set up just to do that. We've had a chance to spend just a couple of weeks in Proverbs, and now the lectionary will move us into other forms of literature in the Old Testament. But Proverbs this morning is really about helping young people figure out as they are launched off into the world, what are you going to grab onto? How are you going to live? And especially in what ways can you live that will bring blessing to you? The book is really set up primarily as a book to young men. Um, in an ancient patriarchal society, it's as though these young men are headed off into the world. And so the, the figure of the teacher is actually a kind of father figure in the text. Um, I've shared this with you before, but when I came to NNU as a freshman in 1984, I was here about a week and I got a really long 
handwritten letter on yellow legal pad from my dad, right? And in some ways, it was his book of Proverbs to me. It was, now as I've launched you out into the world and I have no idea what you're doing now, this is pre-iPhone days and he couldn't track me. Um, I have no idea what you're up to. Please do these things and not these things, right? And this father figure of wisdom speaks to all of these young men. And what's interesting is what this father figure wants them to grab and get a hold of is actually a feminine vision of wisdom. So if in the text, wisdom is a, a woman crying out to all of these young men to come and to participate in her life. In fact, the very last chapter of Proverbs is this famous chapter about a kind of godly wife who, when you read the text, is a woman who never gets any sleep because she's so busy. Bless her heart. Um, but in many ways, is the kind of embodiment of this wisdom, if you will. That doesn't mean, by the way, that Proverbs is only meant for young men or instructive for them. There's a part of me that would love some young women who are studying to be biblical scholars to be raised up to maybe invert Proverbs someday and reimagine what it would mean for, for a mother figure to speak about wisdom and how to pursue that and maybe help us deconstruct some of the masculine ways that Proverbs is shaped. But nevertheless, we have this, this interesting vision of wanting to pursue lady wisdom. And what's also interesting in the book is that not only is she personified as a woman, but so are many of the ways you could go wrong. And the reason I think that is important this morning is because even though this is Proverbs and we think about it as wisdom, I'm convinced that it's not so much about the head as it is about the heart. That this vision of wisdom that calls out to these young people from the streets and says, come, follow me, is competing with all of these other voices that are saying, ho, ho, fee, fee, come follow me. And that it's not so much about our head. In fact, this is kind of the way that wisdom talks. How long will you love your naivete? I invited you, but you rejected me. You did not want me. It's this invitation to come and love wisdom, to love the things of God, and in particular to love for Proverbs, a golden thread that God has woven into the world called wisdom. And if in the imagination of Proverbs, if you will learn to love that, pursue that, want that more than anything, life will come to you. But if you learn to love and desire and want other things, life will ebb away from you. And there is this invitation. And so this morning, all of you young people, we are focused on you and we spend so much resource on you because we know how important this is. In some ways today, if we had passed the microphone around, all of us older than 30 would have a couple of things to say. We would either say to you all the ways we missed out on it and we don't want you to do that. Or we would point to some folks in the room and say, do what they did. They may have missed parts of it, but oh, they caught enough of that golden thread. Do what they did. <laughs> and we would testify about how important this is. This morning, I, I want to follow just a few themes in Proverbs. 
And there's way more than I can do this morning, but I picked four or five that I think are just key themes that as the writer of Proverbs invites us to come to love and to learn to love this wisdom, that we would pursue these things. The first is this, that we would pursue the right friends. Proverbs earlier, Proverbs 1 says this, my son, don't let sinners entice you. There's that language again, right? Don't let them entice you. Don't go when they say, come with us. My son, don't go on the path with them. Keep your feet from their way because their feet run to evil. Again and again, Proverbs will talk about the importance of, of friendship, of connection, of relationship, of fostering those relationships and communities that will actually bring life to us and being careful and discerning about those relationships that actually bring destruction. I'm convinced that part of the reason for that is for those of you um, who either have been a prodigal in the past or have a prodigal child or grandchild or friend, most prodigals do not, I don't think, wake up one day and say, I've examined all of the philosophies of life. I've looked at all the paths that I could go down. Two paths diverged in a yellow wood. Like, I don't know that young people actually do that. I think what actually happens is we get connected to relationships, oftentimes friends. Debbie and I often said, man, the most important thing in our kids' lives is who their friends are in eighth grade. That um, you get shaped by particular visions and our convictions, by the way, are not isolated individualistic convictions. They're shared and embodied in groups. It's why we come to church every week to participate with those who are trying to see and imagine the world like us, to celebrate that, to be shaped by each other. But it's easy not just in friend groups, but it's easy in the resources that we begin to give ourselves to, the voices we listen to, the echo chambers we enter into. To become shaped by voices, relationships, friendships that begin to take us away from the wisdom of that golden thread that God has for us. There's another theme in Proverbs, diligence or hard work. By the way, I love this text, uh, Proverbs 6. Forgive me, Noah, but I, I imagine we have this great picture of Noah. When Noah was little, he loved to put bugs in jars. Um, and he had a little magnifying glass that he would carry with him everywhere, a little red magnifying glass. He also wore rain boots everywhere he went. But I think about him in this verse. Go to the ant, you lazy person. Right? Get out your magnifying glass and look at the anthill. Go to the ant, you lazy person. Observe its ways and grow wise. The ant has no commander, officer, or ruler. Even so, it gets food. It gets its food in summer, gathers its provisions at harvest. How long, lazy person, will you lie down? When will you rise from your sleep? The writer wants us to fall in love with the giftedness that God has given to us and with the desire to do something with that giftedness. Our life, the Sabbath teaches us, is more than what we do for a living and is more than the work that we do. But it doesn't make the work that we do unimportant. And to grab that golden thread is to realize that God has given us giftedness and to pursue that and delight in that and use that for the edification of others. Another theme in Proverbs is dealing with our emotions, especially anger. 
This is one of my favorite Proverbs, Proverbs 14, 17. Short-tempered people make stupid mistakes. Should be a bumper sticker. Short-tempered people make stupid mistakes. I love that Proverbs recognizes that an IQ matters, but way before we use this kind of language, the writer of Proverbs, writers of Proverbs recognized that an EQ, an emotional quotient, was really in some ways more important. I've known a lot of really smart people in my life who were really dumb when it came to relationships. Really poor at controlling their emotions. Really poor at what James, another wisdom letter in the New Testament will say, People who are slow to speak and slow to become angry, but who are quick to listen. And so for all of you young people, the the writer of Proverbs says grabbing that golden thread means learning what it means to be able to to get control of oneself, to practice self-control. Another theme is our resources. This is Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the first of all your crops, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will burst with wine. Over and over, the the writers of Proverbs will say our resources matter. Our resources of not just wealth, but our resources of energy, our resources all around us, our resources of time. All of those matter. You don't get them back. So be wise with them. Another theme that in some ways is an umbrella of all of them, character. This is again Proverbs 6. This is one of my favorite lines that often repeats in the Old Testament. There are six things the Lord hates. And then it's as though the writer goes, wait, seven things. No, seven. There are six things the Lord hates, seven things detestable to him. Snobbish eyes, a lying tongue, hands that spill innocent blood, a heart set on wicked plans, feet that run quickly to evil, a false witness who breathes lies and who causes conflicts among relatives. Amen. Some of you will put that on your refrigerator this week. All of that language is about having the right kind of character, a kind of life that that is lived in that golden thread that, that allows us to have a good reputation in the community and not just among the faithful, but, but among everyone. And so I, I want you to hear that. And we as a church are gathered together, especially for all of you young people. We're gathered here to say, listen, fall in love with godly wisdom. Pursue it. Follow that golden thread that God has woven in creation. And if you do, life will come. Because if you don't, brokenness will come. And we would love nothing more than to spare you of the deep brokenness that's possible in the world and for you to live into all the robust goodness that God has for you. Yes. Amen. You who are parents and grandparents, don't you want that? That's why you got up early and dragged them here this morning. Because you, you want that for them. The language of Proverbs is actually pretty harsh. If we find that, life will come in the text we read. Lady Wisdom says, and if you don't find it, bad on you. When you call out to me, I'm going to go, la, 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 la. I'm not listening. 
You had your chance. You went a different direction. That wisdom tradition actually has that kind of rough language that says, life matters. Please don't play around with it. Treat it with the respect of people who've been given the ruach, the breath of God to fill their lungs. Embrace the moments God has given to you. Delight in them. Pursue that golden thread. But there's a couple of other books in the literature that actually in some ways respond back to that perspective in Proverbs at at some level. One of them we'll get a chance to look at in the next few weeks. One begins this way. There once was a man named Job (laughs) who found the golden thread of wisdom but for whom much of the circumstances of life fell apart anyway. What do we do with that? But there's one, unfortunately, at least in this journey, we won't get to look at, but there's another book called Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes basically looks at the Proverbs tradition and says, I have done that. I did all the good stuff. I didn't waste my time. I paid attention to the ant. I worked. I gave God my time. I did things that were wise. I got good things. And then I got old. And I realized my kids were going to spend all my money. And there's maybe, is it kind of meaningless then? Like if the whole pursuit of this thing is to find that golden thread and to pursue wisdom, if that's all it is, then you eat and drink and you're merry and then you die. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Is there not something more to this than just finding the life of wisdom? Is there not something deeper and richer? Is that all we're doing here today? And so if I can channel my inner Ecclesiastes today, the Koheleth, the discontented one, I have to say as a minister, I'm glad that we pay so much attention to our young people and we want them to find the pursuit of wisdom. But I have to say, if all we're here to do is help shape some kids to be wise so that they end up being good citizens, no wonder we're all kind of bored, starting with them. No wonder we realize they may find as much of that playing on a sports team as being at church. They may learn a lot of that golden thread at school. So they should put their time there. There's a lot of places if the goal of this thing is just to make healthy and wealthy and wise kids. I'm with the writer of Ecclesiastes. That's nice. There has to be more than this. There has to be more than that. So flip to Mark. So I love that the gospel text today is Mark chapter 8. If there is a text, and and you've heard this from me before, if there is a text that has shaped me more than I think any other text in the scripture, it's actually this text in Mark 8. If I have a life text, it is this one. I love what the gospel of Mark does. Hang on, are you with me? So the Gospel of Mark basically takes place in two places. The first eight chapters, for the most part, occurs in Galilee. The latter chapters in Jerusalem. 
As Jesus enters into ministry, largely in Galilee, a lot of good things happen. He heals people. He frees people from oppression. He, he feeds multitudes, all sorts of wonderful things, signs that the kingdom of God is breaking out are there. And all the time crowds gather because signs of the kingdom are breaking out. And every time a crowd <laughs> gathers, he says, shh, don't talk about this anymore. And they still do. And more crowds show up. But eventually he's got to take these disciples to Jerusalem. And so in the eighth chapter, as he begins this latter part of the journey to Galilee and heads towards Jerusalem, he encounters a man who is blind. It's in the text right before the one we read in Mark 8. It only happens in Mark. It's my favorite miracle other than the resurrection of Jesus. It's my favorite miracle. He encounters this man and he touches him and he says, can you see anything? And he says, well, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. And then he touches him again and he can fully see. Now the reason, it's a terrible reason why I love this miracle. is because it's the only one where Jesus had to do something twice to get it right. It's a bit of a fail of a miracle, if you will. It's a strange story, but that miracle then moves us right into this conversation. Jesus says, who do people say? And the disciples say, oh, you're so popular. Some think you're Elijah. Some think you're a prophet. Some think you're John the Baptist. But then the key question, who do you say that I am? Peter gets the right answer. You're Messiah. But rather than what we get in Matthew, oh man, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. In Mark, we get, shh. But then Jesus begins to talk about and teach them about how the Son of Man, or in the common English Bible, the human one, must suffer, be betrayed, persecuted, crucified, and then on the third day rise again. I tried to emphasize this when I read it. Mark says, he said this openly. So tell anyone you want about this part. But as you know, Peter rebukes him, probably something along the line of, I said you're Messiah, you seem to affirm that, and now you want to do all this death talk. That's not what Messiahs do. And begins to talk to him, give him a PowerPoint lecture on what Messiahs do. To which Jesus' response is, we probably shouldn't have asked you to teach a class yet. You should get behind me. You, why don't we start over with you, Peter? <laughs> um, get behind me, Satan. You still have a lot to learn. But then Jesus began to say, if you want to be my disciple, you have to take up your cross and follow me. If you want to find your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake and for the sake of the kingdom, you will find it. The reason I love this passage so much is because of the way it defines the disciples' cross. But what I love is it happens again, actually, in chapter 9. Jesus tells them about how the Son of Man must suffer, and they still don't get it this time they actually have a fight about who's the greatest in the kingdom. Then in chapter 10, he tries it again. He says, listen, son of man must suffer. But then the very next thing that happens is James and John come to him and he asks them this question, what do you want me to do for you? And they say, when you come into your kingdom, can one of us sit at the right and some of, one of us sit at the left? And it's this kind of oy vey moment. And then it ends with Bartimaeus as Jesus heads to Jerusalem, calling out from the road, have mercy on me. And when Jesus sees him, recognizes him, and says the exact same question he just asked James and John a few verses earlier. What do you want me to do for you? Only Bartimaeus gets the right answer. I want to see. I want to see. And then the text says Bartimaeus followed him on the road to Jerusalem. The reason this is such a transformative text for me is if I could use chapters 1 through 8 as a kind of metaphor 
In some ways, Peter and the other disciples understand Proverbs. They understand there are kind of rules to the world. If we do the right things, God will bless us. And so Messiah has come. We finally did the right things. Messiah has come and is beginning to bless us. And this is how it functions. Peter, if you will, understands the golden thread and sees that well enough to be able to know that Jesus is Messiah. But the problem, of course, is he doesn't fully see, like that man who has to be touched twice, the disciples have to go all the way to Jerusalem to see what are, what are the implications of discipleship. These last uh, few weeks, I've just for fun gone back to reading the Chronicles of Narnia. It's been a long time. I just finished the voyage of the Don Treader. I have the silver chair and the last battle left, but it's been fun. Some of you who are fans and read them or cheated and watched the movies. There's this great moment in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Hopefully most of you know the story. The four kids find their way into Narnia through the wardrobe. They end up becoming the kings and queens of Narnia. Of course, one of them, Edmund. Think about the Proverbs language here is enticed by the white witch. Eats the Turkish delight. Learns to love it. Becomes trapped in her life. And in this climactic moment at the stone table where Aslan and the white witch encounter each other, here's the text. You have a traitor there, Aslan, says the witch. Of course, everyone present knew she meant Edmund. But Edmund had got past thinking about himself after all he'd been through and after the talk he'd had that morning. He just went out looking, went on looking at Aslan. It didn't seem to matter what the witch said. Well, said Aslan, his offense is not against you. Have you forgotten the deep magic? Asked the witch. Let us say I have forgotten it, answered Aslan gravely. Tell us of this deep magic. Tell you, says the witch, her voice growing suddenly shriller. Tell you what is written on the very table of stone which stands beside us. Tell you what is written in letters deep as a spear is long on the fire stones on the secret hill. Tell you what is engraved on the scepter of the emperor beyond the sea. You at least know the magic which the emperor put into Narnia at the very beginning. You know that every traitor belongs to me as my lawful prey, and that for every treachery I have a right to kill. <laughs> what I couldn't help but see this time through it is that language of how Edmund lost the golden thread. He fell for the wiles of temptation. He found himself captured in the grip and the brokenness of the white witch. In some ways, that's the language of Proverbs. If you do wrong, this is what happens. If you do right, this is what happens. Edmund did wrong, this is what happens. La, 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 I am not listening this is the golden thread, if you will, for Lewis of the deep magic 
the rules, the wisdom woven into the creation. But those of you who are Narnia fans know that's not the end of the story. Aslan gives himself up in a reflection of Christ's sacrifice, lays himself on the stone table, ends up raising from the dead. And now we get to that cool part. Aslan comes back. And the girls shout, oh, you're real, you're real. Oh, Aslan cried Lucy, and both girls flung themselves upon him and covered him with kisses. But what does it all mean, asked Susan, when they were somewhat calmer. It means, said Aslan, that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still, which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time, but if she could have looked a little further back, into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a, difference, a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself, itself would start working backwards. And now, and now, said Aslan presently, to business. I feel I'm going to roar. You had better put your fingers in your ears. And they did. And Aslan stood up and when he opened his mouth to roar, his face became so terrible that they did not dare look at it. And they saw all the trees in front of him bend before the blast of his roaring as grass bends in a meadow before the wind. And then he said, oh, we have a long journey to go. You'd better, you'd better ride on me. <laughs> what I want you to see this morning. Proverbs is so good. There is a golden thread that you should grab. There is a deep magic woven into the creation. And if you mess with it, if you go a different direction, it inevitably brings destruction. But the gospel says today, there is a deeper magic. There is a deeper magic. And that deeper magic says... Just two things to us today. The deeper magic says this. For all of us Edmonds who lost the golden thread and our life has fallen apart, it doesn't have to have the last word. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks be to God. But it also says, back to you young people. If all we teach you, and I'm, I'm going to get emotional. If all we teach you around here is how to be a good person and a nice citizen, even to grab the golden thread, that'll be a lot better than your life falling apart. But we will have failed miserably. We will have taught you the Jesus of Galilee without inviting you to also love the Jesus who takes us to Jerusalem. And teaches us the deeper magic of what it means, not only that he has given himself for us, but who invites us to give ourselves for the sake of others and for the sake of the world. The world could use a lot of nice people. It really could. But frankly, Proverbs in many ways is something we can do in our own strength. It takes some work some grit, some diligence, 
but you can do it. What Jesus invites us to is not something we can even see in our own strength, let alone do. And it is that to which your life is called. Not just to be a nice person with a little religion added in, but to be a person who has been filled with the Spirit and has become a reflection of Jesus for the sake of the world. I have re-fallen in love also with an old hymn by Fanny Crosby. I throw it in a lot. I want you to know it. We like your new songs, kids, but there's some old ones we'd like you to know. My favorite verse of the hymn says this. Perfect submission. All is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness. But there's a deeper magic still, lost in his love. We want that to be your story, that to be your song. We want that to be the thing that shapes and fills and guides you into life. Perfect submission. All is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior. God, we come to you today as a people who desperately need your guidance and direction. And we come this morning um, with young people that we love and care about. We're a community in so many ways devoted to the development of young people. We want them to be protected from the things that could utterly destroy and mess with the goodness that you have for them. But today, we do pray for their protection and for their guidance and that you would teach them the ways of wisdom, help them to discover the, the golden thread woven through your creation, the, the deep magic to use Lewis's language that that more often than not will lead to life and blessing and a good name and good character. But may we realize and may they realize and see in us that we are here today to pursue something so much deeper than just becoming good people. We have come to be freed 
all of us Edmonds who have gone the wrong direction to be freed by the deeper magic of a God who loves and sets slaves free from bondage. But we have also come to discover the life of the Spirit, a life that can only be defined by taking up the cross, by finding our life, by losing our life in all the ironies. So teach us how to do that, we adults, and may these young people, may they, may no one think little of them because they're young, but let them even set an example for the believers in, in the life of speech and love and faith and purity. Let our hearts be assured and blessed and at peace today as we have discovered your story and song for us. For we pray this in the name of the one who calls and invites us to come and follow, and to discover the life that you want for us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And God's people said, amen. Stand with